Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. There is power in the name of Jesus. How many believe that? Can you tell two or three people around you? Maybe they need to hear it. Tell them there is power in the name of Jesus. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. There is healing power in the name of Jesus. There is restoration power. In his name, you can be set free of addictions. You can be set free of problems, of situations. Jesus is still alive, and that's why we sing unto him. We're so grateful for what he's done, and we have such expectation of what he's going to do tonight and for the rest of our lives. Tell somebody close to you, it's going to get better. It's good already, but it's going to get much better. That is our faith, and that's why we come here on a Sunday like tonight to celebrate Jesus. You guys may be seated. It's good to be once again here in JTP Church for the third time today. This is one of the last Sundays that we have in this place. As you guys know, we're going to be moving very soon, and we still don't know where, but God does. I think God has a sense of humor. He just wants to keep us uh, on our toes. Uh, but we're trusting him and we believe that this next season of JTP Church, JTP Ministry is going to be amazing. Are you guys believing that with me? Yeah. Amen. Amen. It was good to see, like Jesus said, so many people coming to the forward movement. I think we had our biggest class yet of DIA. That's amazing. Where's the forward team? Can you guys uh, stand up? I know some of them are probably helping out with the offering. Is Janice here? They're all? All of them are there. <laughs> All right, we bless you guys. You guys let them know that I mentioned them. They're doing such a great job, Janice, Michelle, and Ovia. They're doing a great job, so I thank God for their lives. Today, I want to talk a little bit about rebellion. I actually titled the message, Rest in Peace, Rebellion. It's important to know what God thinks about rebellion because rebellion could literally stop you in your tracks. Amen? So if you got something to write notes, today we're going to read the Bible like we've never read it before. So for you guys that are Bible-reading junkies, you're going to have a field day today. For those that are not, well, maybe this is the day that you're going to convert finally and become a Christian. Kidding. If you go to the dictionary, the word rebellion, you'll find that it's an act of violent or open resistance to an established government or rule. But it's also the action or process of resisting authority. When there's an authority set and you resist the authority, or you resist a control or a convention that has been established, that's rebellion. And rebellion is not always bad. The Bible encourages us that if there's certain injustices, right, in our lives, that we can rebel against those situations. If, for example, you have an infirmity, the Bible says that God is our healer, you can rebel against that infirmity and say, Lord, the Bible says that in your word you paid the price for my infirmities, not just my sins. So I rebel against the situation. You can rebel against circumstances. Sometimes we, we allow circumstance to come into our lives and we accept them as part of us when God wants us to live blessed. God wants us to live in abundance. God wants us to live with healthy bodies, right? And sometimes you just got to rebel against situations. The first thing that comes to mind about a good way of rebelling is when people are oppressed by a tyrant government for so long, as in the case of many Cubans here in Miami, they rebelled against injustice. It was a tyrant government, and many of them came to Miami for freedom. 
and we're praying for Cuba to be free. I knew I was going to get your amen there. <laughs> Actually, today the apostle mentioned a little bit about that, and we're praying for our Cuban brothers. Um, my wife is Cuban, and, and we believe that uh, Cuba's in the heart of God. We believe that God's going to do something. Same for Venezuela. When it's an oppressive government, you know, sometimes you rebel against injustice, injustice. So not all rebellion is bad. Sometimes you've got to rebel against poverty, against infirmities, against anything that you're living that is not in agreement with the Scriptures. But some of the time, and God is pretty clear in his word about how he feels towards rebellion when we rebel against authority. He steers us clear of it because he knows how destructive rebellion can be. Amen? And I want to kick it off today. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. We're going to read, like I said, quite a bit. I don't want you to think that I made this up. This is in the Bible. God wrote this. He inspired people that were filled of the Holy Spirit. They heard from God, and they put what they heard from God into paper, and that's what you're holding in your hands right now, the Bible. It's an inspired book of God, 66 different books, some of them poetic, some of them minor prophets, but the Bible is the Word of God, inspired Word of God. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23, so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Everybody say that. Obeying is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, and I want you to pay attention to this. We're talking about rebellion today. Rebellion in God's eyes is just like the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And this, is, this was spoken against the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. God gave him specific orders to do things, and he only obeyed them halfway. Obedience halfway is the same thing as disobedience. And when God said that, he sent this prophet, and he told him, look, tell that guy that what I desire is not sacrifice. I desire obedience. And then he started telling him about how God sees rebellion. You guys know the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, right? That's the most important thing. When he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the first commandment was, you shall have no idols before me, right? Because God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share his glory with anybody. If we're going to worship somebody, we're going to worship God. He is the Almighty, amen? For God, idolatry, which is having other gods before him, it's the biggest thing. It's like you cheating on your wife. That's how God feels. It's like you cheating on God. You're going after other gods. To God say that rebellion for him, it's at the same level of idolatry and witchcraft. You could see how much weight God gives to rebellion. How many say amen? So I want to talk a little bit about the origin of rebellion. How did this start? And before I get into that, how does rebellion try to set in into our lives? Well, there's two ways. First of all, it's by entertaining divisive thoughts or rebellious thoughts brought about from the enemy. How many of you know that Satan is still alive and well? The Bible said that he came to steal. He, he came to deceive us. He came to kill, destroy. That's his job title. So he tries to plant into your mind divisive thoughts. He's still at it. And also by listening to people that have rebellious spirit. By listening to what the enemy sometimes tries to tell us when it's in disagreement with the word of God. And also by listening to people that have a rebellious spirit. So understand this. Rebellion was birthed in heaven. In the heart of God's most incredible angelic creation, which his name was Lucifer. Now, 
Lucifer, being an angel and living in heaven, succumbed to rebellion. Isn't it crazy that rebellion started, first of all, with an angel that got created, and second of all, it started in heaven? I mean, you figured, well, you know, maybe in earth, you know, we got some whack people here on earth, maybe rebellion started, but it started in heaven. You don't think the enemy is going to use rebellion here on earth when it was evident in heaven and an angel succumbed to it? This is something that we have to all guard our hearts because it's something that the enemy used, and this was how it all started. And I want you to go quickly. Quickly, We're going to read two different scriptures with respect to this. Go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, and, and check out how this happened. Lucifer was an incredible creation of God. He was an angel, and he was the first one who rebelled against God. Isaiah 14, 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, look where rebellion started, in his heart. He said, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. It all started where? In his heart. He started saying, why does God have to be the greatest one? I'm going to be like the most high. I'm going to be like God. I mean, look at me. And he was glorious. If you go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 28, you get a little glimpse of how astounding of a creation he was. Ezekiel 28 verse 14 says, you were the anointed cherub who covers I established you. This is God saying, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. Remember in the other passage, it all started where? In the heart. Well, here it corroborates and, and it continues saying that it was found within. And you sinned, therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you. O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Look what it says next. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. So you see, he was beautiful. He was, I think it was the maximum of all of God's creation up in heaven. This guy was an amazing angel. And because of that, his heart was lifted up. And it says, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground and I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So we see that rebellion started up in heaven and he just exalted himself in the heart. Psalms 51, 7, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. He tried, Lucifer did, to exalt himself in his heart. But what God is seeking is people that have a broken heart or a contrite heart, a surrendered heart, as Gabby was explaining today a few minutes ago. So God is looking for people that are humble. God can work with people that their hearts are manageable and they're moldable. But when you try to exalt, when you start seeing yourself better than other people, when you start comparing other people and belittling and trying to put yourself above them, that's when your heart is leading you into trouble. How many say amen? So it all started in heaven. 
Another thing we got to be careful about is listening to rebellious people. The Bible says that it wasn't enough for Satan to start thinking of himself as high as God or as important as God. He started sharing that thought with other angels in heaven. And the Bible says that a third, you can find this in Revelation 12:4. it speaks about how he influenced a third of all the angels in heaven and he brought them down to earth. God kicked them all out of heaven because of the rebellion. So by this point, it should be clear that any of us at any time can be bombarded by thoughts, influence, or actions of people or of the enemy himself in order to sow rebellion into our hearts. If it happened to the greatest angel or the most beautiful angel in heaven, and it happened in the setting of heaven, trust me, we as human beings living here on earth, we have to deal with rebellion and we have to know how to spot it quick so that it doesn't start making its way into our hearts. Okay, so what are the manifestations of rebellion? The first one is internal. Everybody say internal. When you entertain thoughts of rebellion, you're incubating rebellion internally. It starts happening inside through a thought. There's no external evidence of it yet, but you start allowing it into your heart. Or you can just reject the thought. You just reject the words that somebody is saying that's trying to divide you from your calling, divide you from the place that God put you, or divide you from something that you're doing. When you entertain thoughts of rebellion, you're incubating internally, even if you are not yet manifesting rebellion outwardly. Now, spiritually mature people are able to discern when someone is in rebellion or when somebody opposes or rejects your leadership and authority. Sometimes they don't even have to say anything, but you could discern it. That's why the Bible says that we need to live in the Spirit. Because if we live filled of the Holy Spirit inside of you, He's going to start to show you when people are divisive and when people are not in the, same, in the same flow as you are. And the other way that it's manifested is external. Everybody say external. If you entertain rebellious thoughts long enough, eventually, inevitably, it's going to turn into action. Why should I obey my pastors and leaders and strive to open an HOB small group? That's a divisive thought. If that's the vision of our church, if this is what we're working for, and then you start entertaining thoughts like that and saying, you know what, I don't think I should be doing that. That's a divisive thought. Why do I have to give money to the church? I wrote a few down here so you could make it easier to relate because sometimes we go through these and we have to know what to do. Because you have people coming and telling you, why do you give money to the church? All they want to do is stay with your money. Divisive thought. But when you understand the word of God and you know why we give and you know that our way to prosperity is through giving, just like Janice was teaching. Now, we're not dumb. I know what I'm doing. I was doing my taxes this year and I was close to giving 20%. I think it's the, it's the most I've ever given of my total income. And I'm proud of that. I don't stop to think, say, well, 20%, wow, out of my income, that could be... I could have a bigger house, or I could do so much. Those are div divisive thoughts, too. If I start entertaining those thoughts, now, it doesn't mean that they're not going to come, but you need to know what to do when divisive thoughts come, speaking against your calling, speaking against what you're doing, speaking against convictions. Why do I have to forgive if he was the idiot who caused the harm? Divisive thoughts. What does the word say? Forgive. Because when you forgive, it's good for you, not for that person. Forgiveness sets you free so that that person doesn't have control over you anymore. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So I want to go on to speak about two different ways we can fall into rebellion. This is going to be the rest of the sermon. Two different ways we can fall into rebellion. 
The first one is when we rebel against God's word. Put your hand around the person that you have next to you and tell them we got to be careful not to rebel against God's word. Because when you rebel against God's word, you're basically rebelling against God. Some people like part of the word or specific parts of the word, and then the other parts or other scriptures, they rather leave them on the side. Work in progress. I'm working on believing that, or I'm working on putting that into practice. But we need to, the truth of God is the word as a whole. Amen? So look what Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 through 19 says. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. This is not a 40-yard dash, and you guys have heard me say this. This is about running a marathon and being steadfast to the end. You guys remember Apostle Paul? Towards the end of his life, he said, well, I have run the race. I have kept the faith, and now God is reserving for me this huge crown, the crown of justice, because I've led my life, and I served God, and I've done, I tried to do my best through the power of the Holy Spirit to live according to God's Word. Well, it's not something that it's an emotion that's going to lead you to live a godly life for a short period of time. This is something that needs to be, we need to be steadfast and to the end. While it is said, verse 15, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So we're talking about rebellion today. And then it continues. I'd love the subtitle. I don't know if you have it in your Bible. In my Bible, it says failure of the wilderness wanderers. Does it say it in your Bible? Yeah, failure of the, that's a good title for a message, actually. Wilderness wanders. So tell somebody close to you, don't wander in the wilderness. What is he referring to when he says, look, don't be like these people, those that were in the rebellion. And then if you read on in verse 16, it says, who having heard, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Talking about rebellion, and then on the other side, we have obedience. So we see that they cannot enter in because of unbelief. So it's, it's making a comparison to the people of Israel that they were slaves. You guys remember the story, right? Moses delivered them from the hand of uh, a Pharaoh, and, and they went into the wilderness, but they had a hardened heart. And they rebelled against Moses. And by rebelling against Moses, we're going to see it in a little bit, they were actually rebelling against God, because who had appointed Moses? God, of course. So they started rebelling against Moses, and because of their rebellion, they weren't able to find rest. That's one of the things that rebellion does. It doesn't allow you to find rest. It doesn't allow you to enter the land that God has prepared for you. There is a land of rest for you. There is a land of restoration, a land of blessing that flows milk and honey. But when you're in a spirit of rebellion or you're incubating rebellious thoughts, you can never go in there. You'll get closed. And you'll see it from afar and you'll see others enjoying it, but you can't get in. And all of this God spoke to me because at the end of verse 19, it says, so we see that they cannot enter in because unbelief. And God told me that unbelief is the incubator of rebellion. When you don't have faith, when you lack faith, and that's the reason why sometimes we can't put things into practice. For example, and I'm gonna, I mentioned this once again because it's the first example that comes to mind, giving. Why do people have sometimes such a hard time of giving their tithes and trusting God? It's because of unbelief. It's a lack of faith. 
because you're thinking, well, if I give to God, then I'll have less, and I won't be able to cover everything else. But if you live for a long and extended period of time with unbelief, you're incubating rebellion. And in the end, that rebellion is going to come out, and then you're going to end up talking bad about, you know, churches that they ask for money and whatnot, and then you're going to end up leaving the church. When everything started because of unbelief, the reason why these people could not enter or did not enter the promised land, it was unbelief. They didn't believe it. This is why you need to make sure your faith is constantly being developed and grown. And you know how faith is developed? Through difficult seasons. When you go through difficult trials, but you trust in God and you embrace God's word and you say, God, I'm going through this, but I love that your word says that you're always with me. You'll never abandon me. You have my hand. You'll pull me up from whatever situation. If I'm going through a difficult financial situation, God, I know that your eyes are upon me. If I'm going through sickness, God, I grab a hold of Isaiah 53 that says God is my healer. And you embrace it. And instead of living in that current situation, your faith catapults you to receive the promises that God has left for you. And then it's just a matter of time that you see the glory of God over your life. And that struggle turns into a testimony turns into your story, turns into opportunity to give God glory. How many say amen? Whereas if you're led by unbelief, you'll never see the glory of God. You'll never find rest and you'll never enter the promised land. So that's why we need to make sure our faith is constantly being developed and grown. It's like a muscle, right? Every single day, your faith is challenged. Every single day, God's going to push you for more to understand. And, and sometimes it's, he's going to push you out of your comfort zone. But that's when you have to show that you truly trust in God and that you believe that God is for you. If you don't have enough faith to believe that God is going to prosper you more by giving more, then eventually you're going to just complain and say, well, this doesn't work. I give because I know I'm blessed. And I know that the more I give, the more God blesses me. Amen? The more I extend forgiveness to people, the more God will forgive me. Because I'm not imperfect. I need the grace of God every single day. Right? Can anybody say amen to that? Or am I the only one? We all need the grace of God. And the last point I want to share with you guys, and this is going to be pretty extensive, it's about rebelling against God's delegated authority. And I have a story. This is a true story, actually. After it was disclosed that President Bush had banned broccoli aboard Air Force One, this is a true story, the nation was embroiled in broccoli discussion. Some of you guys are probably too young to remember this, but as broccoli growers dispatched 10 tons of the vegetable free to Washington, the president reiterated his disdain with gusto. I do not like broccoli, and I haven't liked it since I was a little kid, and my mother made me eat it. Can anybody say amen to that? Me too. <laughs> and I am president of the United States, and I'm not going to eat any more broccoli. Now, look, this is the last statement I'm going to have on broccoli. There are truckloads of broccoli at this very minute descending on Washington. My family is divided. For the broccoli vote out there, Barbara, his wife, loves broccoli. She has tried to make me eat it. She eats it all the time herself so she can go out and meet the caravan of broccoli that's coming in. Look what Proverbs 17, verse 10 to 13 says. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against them. 
when you open your heart to rebellion, when you start incubating rebellion because of unbelief, the Bible says that a cruel messenger will be sent against you. Amen? It's not that God's going to be against you. You're opening the doors through rebellion so that certain things would happen and you won't enter the promised land that God has for you. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart his house. You'd be surprised, even inside church, even inside church, how many people are used by Satan to discourage and sometimes sow seeds of rebellion in hearts of other people. And I want to reiterate this, because sometimes we think that in a place of, you know, like this, we come to church, we think that everybody's holy, and all we need is wings to be angels. But I mean, if rebellion was birthed in heaven... You don't think that the enemy is at work trying to divide people that are trying to get something done in favor of the kingdom? You don't think that the enemy is going to stand up against a church that's united, trying to tell people that the hope that they're looking for can be found in Jesus, that he still heals, that he still delivers? Of course, as Christians, we need to make sure that we don't allow divisive thoughts into our mind. As a matter of fact, God always pushes us towards unity. He's always pushing us to, you know, being fond of each other, praying for one another, accepting other people that are different from you. Psalm 64, 1 through 3, it says, Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words. Sometimes there's people, maybe even inside the church, or maybe co-workers that you work with, maybe people inside your family that they dislike you, and they plot things against you. They have a vendetta against you, and they're trying to do things behind your back. David, who wrote this psalm, he had people, he had enemies that were plotting things, that were speaking against them, and I think it's important. I think this is the prayer that we should all do. David, David was praying to God, and he's telling him, hear my voice in my meditation and keep my life from fear of the enemy. Don't allow me to have fear against those that are plotting against me. Maybe there's people here that are fearing from an enemy. It could be a person or a situation. He says, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. There may be plots against you that you don't even know, but God knows them. And if God is for you, who can be against you? So, so David was understanding, and he says, God, I'm going to you because there's a lot of stuff going on that I don't know, but hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity who sharpen their tongue like a sword. It's like they're plotting how, how I'm going to bring him down, how I'm going to get him fired, how I'm going to get this person to, to no longer serve in the church, how am I going to plot from the enemy? Don't look at me that way. Wasn't Judas in part of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ? And he was plotting to even sell the master, sell Jesus? It happened. So who sharpened their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows? Bitter words. Jude chapter 1. I told you we we're going to read quite a lot. I read this this afternoon, actually, right before coming here. And it sounded so much like the times we're living and you'll see why. Jude chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to read all the way to 8, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. And then we're going to jump to 11. It says, But I want to remind you, 
Though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Verse 6, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. We talked also about the angels that rebelled. And here mentions another case, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Pay attention to verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers, now th these aren't the type of dreamers that you want to be, okay? We've talked about Joseph and his dreams. These aren't the type of dreamers that you want to be. These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Doesn't that sound like 2017 to you? The whole resist movement, right, against, against Trump, against our president? You know, instead of praying for our president, there's people that try and oppose the dignitaries. It's talking about sexual immorality. It's talking about rejecting authority, defiling the flesh. And then it says in verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. In other words, money is their God. And then it says, And perished in the rebellion of Korah. Perished in the rebellion of Korah. Anybody here know who Korah was in the Bible? That's what I want to close with, if, if somebody can help me in the keys. I want to share with you the story of Korah to finish off. And it's in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. If you could go with me really quickly. I know this is not an encouraging message like usual. But it's good to have a little bit of teaching so you can know how the enemy works and how to be able to stop him in his tracks when he tries to come and sow a divisive seed in your heart. Numbers, chapter 16 says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Datham and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth. This guy's name was On, like off and on. Don't name your child On, please. Sons of Reuben took men, and they rose up before Moses. Who was the leader that God had appointed? Moses. But all these people, they took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 what? Leaders, so you don't just, just people from the crowd. These leaders started incubating, right, rebellion in their hearts, and we know how they started incubating because of their unbelief. We already read that somewhere else. So 250 leaders of this congregation were influenced by these select number that were listed right here, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Moses was the, the person that God has chosen. Aaron was the high priest. And they said to them, hey, you take too much upon yourself. Like, you guys think you're all that? That would be my version of 2017, right? You take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy. All of us were holy. Every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord. What, what makes you think you're special and that you're the leader? We're all people of God. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him 
that one whom he chooses, that one, sorry, whom he chooses will cause to come near to him. Jump with me to, the, to verse 28. You guys following me? We're almost done here. Numbers 16, 28. I'll explain it in just a bit. And Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally, like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. That was a pretty extraordinary sign, wouldn't you say? Sometimes we ask God for signs. It's like, oh, God, if that cute girl sits next to me, then she's the one for me. And you know she sits next to you every single, come on. But this was a sign that was just crazy. If the earth just opens itself up and swallows these people and closes. So look what it says in verse 31. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallows us up also. So they took off. They said, oh my gosh, we're out of here. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Now check out what happened. All of a sudden, these people start saying, you know, why do we come to church so much and, and listen to this guy speak to us? Aren't we God's people too? I mean, we're the people of Israel. God is with us too. We're holy people. We're trying to live, you know, according to what God is telling us. So they started rebelling against the person that God had put over them as a leader. We didn't get a chance to read the whole story, but Moses started praying to God and say, God, what do we do? So they started doing this whole thing that, you know, back then the, the priests would do, you know, with incense and whatnot. And whoever would receive a response from God, that's the person that God would select as the person that God has anointed over the people of Israel. And God gave specific instructions to Moses. He said, draw a line, draw a line. And they drew a line on the sand. And they said, Those, the people that are for Moses come to this side. The people that are for Korah and these 250 people that are rebelling go on that side. And they started doing the whole priestly duties. And God responded. And the earth, literally, it was like an earthquake. It just opened up. It split. It swallowed all these jokers that lifted up against Moses and against Aaron, swallowed them up, and then it closed again. Korah was the one who led this rebellion, but I want to point something out to you that really stuck out. Go to Numbers chapter 26 now, verse 11. The Bible says, nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. The children, the kids of this man did not die. And what I love is that these children of Korah, instead of following their father, in rebellion, they had a heart for God. And this shows me that this, this thing about serving God and about having a contrite spirit, it's something that's so personal. 
And you got to be careful of who you follow and who you listen to. You got to be a person that seeks God and to understand where God has placed you and for what reason and what we're doing. Because if you're not seeking God and if you don't have direction with respect to God and know who your leader is and why God put you in this church and, and what's God's purpose, then it's like we spoke the other day about the seed that fell, right, and stony grounds, that it started springing up, but the roots, there was no place to our roots. So any wind of doctrine or anybody that came and told you the first thing, you believed in, and, and that's it. You're gone with the wind. But God wants us to be established. And I love it because despite the fact that their parents were rebellious against God, these guys said, I'm on the other side of the line. I could picture them, Korah with all, you know, the 250 men of renown. They were on this side. Moses was here. And when Korah saw his children on the side of Moses, he probably thought, what? These kids are traitors. My own family is on Moses' side. But they had a heart for God. And Korah, Korah was from the tribe of Levi, which were the people that were separated by God to worship God, right? These were the people that were always taking care of, of the tabernacle and led worship. And there were people that were close to the heart of God. And what's even more beautiful, when you go to the book of Psalms, a lot of people think that David wrote all the Psalms. David is only given credit for 73 of the 150 Psalms. But the sons of Korah wrote 11 psalms. Psalms 88, Psalms 87, among others, were all written by these men that loved God so much and that had discernment that even though their own father started speaking bad against the leader, they stayed, they held their ground, they said, no, we know that God has anointed Moses over us. They had a revelation about, you know, who God had placed over them, and because of that, God continued to use them. How many say amen? I think that it's important, so important for us to be able to catch whenever a divisive spirit is trying to take us out of the place where God has set us or take us out of the calling that God has called us with. So this is a beautiful example of young men and young women guarding their hearts and having fear of God even when their own parents opened their mouth in rebellion against their pastor, Moses, in this case. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. And maybe you're saying, well, you know, Pastor, this is a nice message, but it doesn't apply to me. I'm not a rebellious person. Have you ever taken a red light recently? Did you stay hidden in your cabin during your cruise's emergency drill? Guilty, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Not paying for parking when you're only going to be five minutes in and out of the store? When you're lovingly corrected by a leader for something you did wrong, does pride rise on your inside and you give way to not-so-nice thoughts? Do you pray for your president or badmouth him? You take your dog out and have him poop in your neighbor's yard? Guilty in the past. Repented already. <laughs> leaving a meeting or a party and not saying goodbye to people? Not leaving a tip? Quickly closing the elevator when you know people are coming? Keeping the additional change they gave you at the drive-thru and thanking God for it? <laughs> it's funny, but it starts small. But God wants us to be people of integrity. When people are looking at us 
and when people are not looking at us. Amen? God wants us to be and to imitate these sons of Korah, that even though their parents were doing the wrong thing, they said, no, I'm standing for what I know is right. They had more revelation than their own parents. And it all stems from faith. It all stems from relationship with God. And I would like actually everybody to, if, if we can come to the altar today, we're going to worship in just a bit. And I just want to pray. I think sometimes we're all guilty of being a little bit rebellious. Children are sometimes rebellious against their parents. Parents tell us not to do something or they tell us to do something a certain way and we do it, but we do it our way. There's that pride that we struggle with, right? And we think we know better and we want to exert what we know and what we think is right. And God says, look, a contrite spirit and a contrite heart I will never despise. But the spirit of rebellion, I hate. It's like sorcery. It's like witchcraft. And God save us from having a divisive heart. And God prepare us to know what to do when somebody comes and tries to strip us out of the calling that God has for our lives or the place where God set us or what, what God has placed you to do in this season of your life. How many say amen? So let's, let's close our eyes. Let's worship. And we're going to pray in just a few minutes.